0: Welcome to Linux Link Radio by TimeSys, the podcast for embedded Linux developers who want to simplify and speed up their custom platform development. Visit TimeSys.com today for access to our podcast archives.
1: Welcome back to Linux Link Radio. Uh, this is Maciej Harash here, and I have with me today uh, Daniel Scheffer, uh, who is one of uh, TimeSys engineers here. Hey, everyone so uh, we're going to uh, cover a number of new topics today Uh, i know that uh, some of you have missed us and we apologize for that Uh, we will try to do a better job and record uh, on a regular bi-weekly basis today we're going to talk about what's new in a 2628 kernel what happens is unbelievable those kernels uh, get released almost every other month
0: yeah, two six twenty nines. That I think RC two at the moment will probably be RC three soon. So oh my goodness, just they keep spinning them out. Yeah, I remember that last
1: podcast was about uh, what's new in two six twenty seven, and here we are recording uh, the next podcast, and it's uh, it's been already a couple of uh, weeks since two six twenty eight was out there, and uh, I know that because uh, well, you've been working with two six twenty eight, and I know that we've released a couple of two six twenty eight based solutions out there.
0: Yep. They've got a couple different boards out there right now, so and and I'm still using 28 and looking at 29 now. Wow, oh, wow!
1: This this Linux is moving very fast. So today we're going to uh, talk about uh, a number of topics. We'll definitely talk about what's new and interesting in two six twenty eight. And uh, there are a couple of interesting topics that we'll cover there, including, uh, for example, boot time. Then other topics that we'll cover include um, a few taxes. We'll also talk about a funny name in a kernel. <laughs> Tainted crap. Tainted crap. Yeah. No, no, no joke. No kidding. Any other
0: topics? We might also talk about some trace the trace points that were added yeah, in we'll 2628. twenty eight.
1: Uh, that's also interesting for embedded developers i believe and if we have enough time uh we'll, we'll also talk about open source build systems uh or at least we'll try to uh, start that topic today so without further ado 2628 uh, the latest one there's a number of enhancements out there first one that's uh listed and uh or that i run into was the release of the ext4 um, and axd four has been designed to uh, get the journaling um, happening faster in a file system, but is it really that useful? I mean uh, do you think that axd four is uh, for, going to revolutionize
0: the you know how people work n- not for most of the embedded developers out yeah. there I mean most most of the embedded developers are out there are still stuck with jffs two or yafs two or or something like ubFS yeah, but if you want to release something on a
1: hard drive, wouldn't you use uh, an EXT-based uh, file system?
0: Yeah, you you probably would. It's just a lot of people, a lot of the developers out there. I mean, the flash drives are so big now and so yeah. cheap; they they work in harsher environments. So there there aren't a lot of deployments on hard drives like That's there used true. to be.
1: That's true. Although I've seen actually a couple of boards, including uh, uh, well, specifically Atom, I think um, that um, comes with uh, hard drives. And EXT4 uh, would be a nice um, selection for the file system type. But um, when we were talking before recording, you mentioned that there is actually another one coming.
0: Yeah, there is. And the name actually fails me at the moment. EXT4 is basically more of a stepping stone right now between EXT3 and this next file system that's going to be coming out.
1: Yeah, and and from what I read about EXT4, it's got a faster journaling, faster
0: uh, file system checking. And it's um you, you can address more more um space than you could with EXT three. Ah, I see. And and it's actually backwards compatible, so you can actually take an EXT three disk and um change it to EXT four without reformatting it.
1: So Sounds like EXT4 is not that much different from EXT3 from a uh, um, end user usability standpoint. Definitely far less changes than between EXT2 and EXT3. Right. Um, but um, it's been um, mentioned um, all over the network as one of the enhancements for the 2628.
0: Yeah, I think even Fedora is planning on starting to shipping for the next Fedora 10 release to to ship um, um, an EXT4, EXT4 file system. Yeah, well,
1: if if it's there, why not take advantage of it? So,
0: uh, um, what are the other um, enhancements that uh, caught your eye, Daniel? One of the big things, because whenever I look at these change logs, I'm, I'm mainly looking at what's going to affect me. What's going to affect yeah. someone doing better development is that they've added um, some boot timing um, analysis. Wow, that's uh, so. So, how does it work? So basically, you need to enable config boot tracer in the kernel config, and then you pass two kernel command lines. And what it does is, um, in the kernel log, it prints. It, it does some tracing of all the init, tracing and timing of all the init calls.
1: That's wonderful.
0: And, because, yeah. And so you can then basically take your the the D message output uh-huh. and pipe it through a script, and it'll give you an SVG file that you can then go and plot to look at where where the most time is being taken during the boot process.
1: That is very useful because uh, I remember all those times when I was trying to do print case to figure out uh, where the heck is the time spent in uh, in a kernel during the boot time. And that was uh, so far the way that I was optimizing the at least the initial stages of boot process. So right. with this feature, uh, you will be able to um, diagnose or, or visually see uh, when different init calls inside the kernel happen.
0: Right, and try to figure out wh- what parts of the kernel you maybe need to um, turn into a module and not have them load up immediately. Yeah. Um, also, just maybe some functionality you can take out that you don't need to be happening.
1: Yeah, and, and this, is, this is kind of a level of optimizing for uh, boot time that um, we've talked in the past about, which is um, the more involving part. Um, it's not only... Uh, getting rid of uh, some of the kernel um, uh, device drivers from initialization process, but also um, changing the Linux kernel directly to uh, get a lot of code out. But so far, uh, it was difficult to pinpoint uh, what code is really executed for your version of the Linux kernel, when you boot,
0: right, you you basically had to go through like you were saying and manually instrument it yourself, and yeah. then at some point take that code out. Yeah, I
1: remember spending hours on that, man. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, uh, boot tracer is is that an official name?
0: the The official, yeah, the the config option for it is boot tracer.
1: That's nice. Uh, so um, uh, once you get the output, there are some scripts, right? There,
0: there are it, Python scripts. It's um actually it's a Perl, Perl script. script Perl okay. script that um basically take run d message pipe it to a file or pipe it right into the script and then it'll it'll give you it'll spit out an S- svg file that you can basically take into your um some sort of, your open yeah. office or some sort of graphing program like a new plot and plot it
1: uh, i have to play with that because uh i'm curious how those different init calls are marked in that file uh, what it's really that easy to uh, figure out which init call is being called, I have to play with that, so we'll def uh, unless you have already. i i
0: haven't yet <laughs>
1: so we'll report on uh you know uh, how how it behaves in real life um next time so uh other topics um other enhancements um inside linux kernel 2628 include uh, additional trace points. And again, trace points um, have been present inside Linux kernel in one form or another for uh, quite a long time now. And they have been used extensively um, by tools like LTTNG uh, to to insert tracing or or trace the execution of uh, the system. With 2628, there are additional tracing points. And I believe that um, uh, scheduler itself has been um, enhanced for additional tracing points. Another area that uh, we wanted to cover today are the uh, few texts you've mentioned.
0: Yeah, so this this was something that was actually exciting to me because I've done I've had to do some work on this before for some some customers is um, ARM few support. Um, few are, are basically it stands for fast mutex, and it's basically a mutex that you can lock on from user land if there's no contention for it. Um, this has been around for a little while in, in the real-time patches, but with 2.628, it is now in the mainline kernel for um, uni process, uniprocessor ARM systems.
1: Okay, so uh, those Futexes, uh, do they also have uh, priority inheritance on,
0: on them? Yes, they do.
1: They are, they are PI Futexes. So those Futexes, the big thing about them um, is that uh, you don't have to um, go through the system kernel call if the mutex
0: is available correct so why why is it such a big deal? It basically speeds things up any time you can um, de- limit when you go into kernel space it is is a bonus for a user land application
1: yeah context switches
0: right so so basically with this support. Um, whenever you go to grab a mutex, if no one else is holding it, you just grab it without making a system call. If someone else is holding it, then you, then you actually make the system call f- to um, get put on the wait queue for it.
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, if the mutex is available, grabbing it's a um, pretty fast, straightforward process. It's
0: a couple, couple instructions,
1: basically. But um, if the second process um, in userland wants to grab uh, the same mutex, then the system calls again come into play. Right.
0: It'll basically do a check on it and realize that, hey, someone already has this mutex and then make the system call.
1: And the reason for a system call is because uh, the process that is waiting on a mutex has to be notified somehow that the mutex is available. Correct. And the mechanism for that is the Linux kernel, right? Correct. What part of Linux kernel is is um, uh, basically letting the user process know that mutex is available? Do you know? Is is that uh, so? Is that happening on a on a each schedule point? That um,
0: actually, I'm, I'm not sure if it's happening. I'm not sure, truthfully. I don't think it would be happening on each schedule point. I think it basically happened when someone goes and releases the mutex. Uh, releases. When they release it, they make a system call, and then it would then go through and and check who, who's next to um, to okay. grab it and reschedule.
1: Yeah, on, on each scheduling point, that would be a little bit too much of the overhead, I guess. Right.
0: Um,
1: all right. So uh, priority inheritance on those mutexes, uh, um, priority inheritance has been available for kernel uh, mutexes for quite some time and um, on user mutexes as well in the past, um, especially in, in real-time patches. Um, Has it been actually available on other other architectures?
0: Um, It has been available on x86, I know for sure. I'm trying to think.
1: Yeah, I wonder if PowerPC also had it. But priority inheritance would basically um, prevent uh, unbounded priority inversion. Correct. um, Resulting in, um, well especially for real-time systems, unwanted mess of deadlines. Now, um, priority... Deadlocking. And deadlocking too. So, uh, but priority inversion, Uh, let's talk for a few seconds about uh, priority uh, inversion, unbounded priority inversion. So what's the gist of it?
0: Basically, um, you have a low priority thread or task, grab some some resource or a mutex or something and then you have a higher priority thread or task come in and try to grab the same the same resource and it now is pending on this lower th- priority thread to run
1: yeah. So so, uh,
0: so basically, you could then get some middle priority threads that run forever while the while this this high priority thread is blocking on this this lower thread. Yeah,
1: because when a medium priority thread that comes in uh, preempts because of a priority the low priority task, uh, it really prevents it from leaving the mutual exclusion. Correct. On which the high priority task is blocked. So, um,
0: and, and priority inheritance basically tries to fix this by raising the priority of the lower, the, the, um, the, the task that was lower priority up to the high priority task so that it can finish,
1: yeah, quickly without being preempted by, um, medium priority tasks. Correct. Yeah. So, um, this is actually a very nice feature, I think, um, from a real time standpoint again, real time in sense of being able to schedule tasks and execute tasks on time. Uh, without missing deadlines not in terms of um performance because um very often i think again we talked about it uh in the past um
0: real time isn't about performance that's
1: right It's it's about um predictability predictability that's right so um uh 2628 before we jump to that uh Uh, famous topic that we uh, or or famous uh, name inside the Linux kernel. (laughs) Um, I wanted to very quickly uh, go through other um, enhancements that um, are worth noting I think uh, that might be of interest to embedded engineers and that includes a lot of um, Wi-Fi patches um, got into uh, um, 2628. A lot of uh, feature functionality for mesh networks. Um, a lot of some of the Zigbee stuff, or uh, no, just just on a, um, I believe Atheros devices. Okay, um, there's a lot of uh, enhancements to device drivers um, for a variety of different Wi-Fi chipsets, including Atheros, um I believe 5K and 9K. There is there was a couple other enhancements there um, that were designed to enhance the capability of. Um, on functionality of wireless drivers and, and make it easy on and embedded engineers to um, leverage that code inside uh, different embedded devices. Now, other than Wi-Fi, what's worth noting are the new additions to the Linux kernel itself. And there's a number of different platforms that got added. There's a lot of um, code that got submitted for the OMAP 3
0: again. Yeah, there's a lot of active development right now on the OMAP 3.
1: Actually, all three, OMAP 1, OMAP 2, and OMAP 3, I believe, got um, a lot of patches into a kernel mainline. Uh, with 2628. As always, we see a lot of activity coming from Atmel um, for the 2628 kernel. Do you work also with Atmel processors here?
0: I don't really that much. I work a lot with a lot of the freescale ARM processors.
1: I know that another engineer, Justin, um, he he works a lot with Atmel. um, So... um, uh, he must be very happy to see a lot of those, uh, patches getting into a mainline. Yeah, it's making his life a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, he also, well, we develop a number of patches for, um, Atmos devices that, uh, we host in git and we also submit back. But some of the enhancements include, um, uh, touchscreen support on, uh, SAM9 RL. We have also, um, support for, uh, EEPROMs on 9260 and 9263. Uh, and there's a a number of i think uh suspend to ram fixes for the atmel processors um but um uh, that's pretty much it on atmel um then we we see um couple of enhancements around um kirkwood processor and uh a number of power pc um patches for uh board support for g fanac Um, there is also support for um, 83xx processors and platforms um, or a number of enhancements for those platforms like for example uh, support for NAND on the 8360 rdk board there is also support for gpio drivers um, on a 8349 8572 and 8610 there's really a lot of drivers and i could probably spend uh at least Long half an <laughs> hour, talking about those uh, enhancements. But uh, uh, rather than doing that, and I don't think that this is of such a, such an interest to our listeners, I wanted to finally get to the topic of kernel... Uh, what was the name again? Taint
0: crap. Taint or crap. Or tainted crap, Taint crap. <laughs> depending on uh, how you want to say it.
1: Yeah, so I was wondering, uh, is that an official... Um, name inside the Linux
0: kernel source tree? Taint underscore crap, yeah. So, <laughs> so ba- basically what's happened is they've added a staging directory to the driver's tree. Okay. Um, and they're tagging everything taint underscore crap, because basically stuff that really shouldn't be, is still under development, really shouldn't be used by anyone out there unless they're, they're actually doing development with these devices or are wanting to test it.
1: All right. so, so let me repeat so that I I just get it. The tainted crap is really j- just an area the Linux kernel where all the new device drivers get uh, stored um, until they they are in a stable state, and then they are moved to a non crappy.
0: Right. <laughs> so so most of the, the the drivers in there right now are network drivers. Okay. Um, so basically, the idea is once they're they become stable, they would then move into the net directory. They move out of the um, staging directory into the net directory.
1: All right, but that applies only to um, drivers that are new to Linux kernel or, or also a couple of drivers that have been inside Linux kernel. It's just that they never reach that level of uh, stability that would,
0: um, you know, allow... I think these are all new ones yeah. to the tree. So yeah. they've been around... A lot of these, some of these drivers have been around for a while, but they've been in other people's trees. I see. Um or in, in patch patch queues, or so. So now they're adding them into this directory, so so they get more visibility, and hopefully more people are going to be testing them and playing with them. But at the same time, they don't want to mix them with the stable stuff. And this is actually a a, a great thing that finally
1: happens because for a long time, um, there was this fear amongst developers, and, and I think also managers, that when they start working with Linux. Um, Linux is um, going to cause problems because a lot of that code is unstable. It's not up to a level of uh, functionality that they need. So I I think that those fears uh, would definitely um, uh, go away um, after the uh, introduction of this new uh, feature inside Linux kernel because now you, you have that clear delineation between... Hey, this is considered to be stable. We are not going to allow any patches that would break any of the functionality in the stable code. But there's also this area inside the kernel where you'll find drivers that you you
0: can play with, but um, for the most part, they might cause problems. Right, and this this idea sorta has been around for a while, and that they've had experimental they've had drivers that were tagged experimental. Actually, ext4 was around for a while, but it was tagged experimental, and with 28, it no longer is. So so some of these drivers are are like worse than experimental, basically. Well, right, but um, experimental means that code
1: still lives in the same area as the rest, right?
0: Right, It, it basically means it it works for the most part right but it hasn't had the the visibility or the it hasn't had people using it enough to be able to say hey this is yeah. this is good to remove this tag
1: yeah so uh i i i think that that delineation between the two areas um is going to help managers and engineers to promote more linux because um they will know that um hey the community has an understanding that there is that interim stage where state where um, drivers, as they are being developed, can cause problems. Um, so if you pick a, a driver from that area, um, you might get problems. But at least your expectation is right. that hey, this is not yet um, fully stable.
0: And, and it will also help out device drivers; yeah. they won't have to wait till. Their driver is completely finished and, and has gone through all the ma- has gone through every single mailing list and gotten all the act buys by everyone before it gets in the kernel. Right. So you can basically get it in there and get some visibility of the driver bef- before you would in the past. Well, exactly, and and plus
1: if there are developers that are doing similar work um, by su- well submitting your patches or your drivers into that. Um, staging area uh you might be able to uh join the join your forces and uh, get the one
0: driver that that works as uh, you want right instead of having three different people independently trying to develop a driver that's right which happens (laughs) (laughs) happens (laughs) (laughs) that's great so um how do you enable it again enable it it's actually it's basically a directory in there um okay but is it configurable in, in some way? I uh, think how, I think how, the way it works is you basically kind of like experimental. You have to enable experimental. I okay. think you have to enable taint underscore crap, and then it'll, it'll make those drivers visible so that you can enable them. So
1: so how do you enable taint underscore crap? Is that an option inside the kernel menu config? I'm pretty sure it's an option inside menu config. Okay. So when you do that, when you put the check uh, check mark next to a uh, to that option, additional drivers will pop up, or there will be a subdirectory. Uh,
0: Once you enable that, then when you go to the drivers directory, they'll they'll have the option to enable those those um drivers that are tagged with that. I see. Well, Whereas before, they basically just wouldn't show up at all. Well, that's uh, that's
1: I think uh, one of the uh, most important uh, additions. Uh, To 2628 kernel. It's
0: one of the fun ones.
1: (laughs) Definitely will will be on people's minds for a while. Uh Okay, so um, that's pretty much it about 2628, unless you want to talk about another feature of uh, 2628.
0: I think that covered most of the stuff I was excited about. I was really excited yeah. about the Arm Texas, just RMP. because I had done some work for some some customers before actually enabling that in their kernels when they didn't want all the real-time stuff. So I was kind of excited to see that go mainline. Okay.
1: So 2628, um, I'm sure is going to be very popular amongst uh, embedded developers, and I'm sure that we'll see a lot of uh, semiconductor vendors also using 2628, Um, in their BSPs or enablement code. But um, uh, I also expect to see a lot of 2628 uh, kernels inside different uh, open source build systems. Um, And this is another topic that um, um, we here at Times are very excited about. Um, because we've been using uh, different build systems for quite some time, and we've been working with some of conductive vendors that um, leverage other build systems. So uh, um, there, there's a couple of them, I believe, right? Which yeah. ones did you work with?
0: Um, I've worked with LTIB, with Open Embedded, um, Build Root. Um, there's a couple other ones out there, like Firmware Linux. um
1: yeah. There's uh, so so most of them are open source and uh, uh, they have different approach to how you build different components and uh, what is it that you build using them and Linux kernel is one of the components that is uh, uh, built by most of those build systems.
0: Right, and then you have things like your C library and your tool chain. Yeah, um, and then what ones you can use depend a lot on the build system you use like like build root for instance that it's only designed for uc libsy
1: yeah so then you can um select uh the build engine based on specific needs um and um well based on the approach that your team would like to adopt um I know that there's a lot of discussions here at times about uh, uh, build systems, especially that um, our uh, new desktop factory um, can be also considered, I believe, one of the um, build engines, and it's also open source. Um but uh, I see that uh, marketing guys are already flagging us out here, that we are running out of time. <laughs> um, we've been talking for... They're,
0: they're telling us to, to go ahead and praise factory and tell everyone how great it is <laughs> that they should be using it.
1: Yeah, we're not going to do that. Uh, maybe next time. So uh, definitely we, go, we want to talk about various build systems and um, uh, compare uh, feature functionality of them um, and talk about how they are uh, being used. Um, so we'll, we'll save this topic for our next recording um, for today thank you very much I, again if you have any questions um, please uh, let us know send us emails at podcast.timesuse.com and visit our website um, uh and you will find a lot of information about podcasts and other materials that we've recorded um, right over there uh, with that thank you very much
0: Bye, everyone. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Timesys. Are you new to Embedded Linux? Looking for a way to simplify your next project? The Linux Link service by Timesys makes it easy to build your custom Embedded Linux platform. Go to timesys.com today or call 866-392-4897 to learn more.